0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 631.
1: Success comes from being very clear about what you want to achieve and going through the uh, challenge of, uh, you know, what do I need to do to get to my goal?
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jumpstarter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so revved up and excited to introduce today's very special guest, Alan Johnson. Alan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready, Mark. All right, great to have you here. Alan Johnson is a longtime automotive enthusiast who was a high-performance driving instructor. He's an author, a racer, and speaker with four SCCA National Championships to his credit. He's won class wins in the Seabing 12 Hours, a Trans Am win, and raced at the Daytona 24 Hour. He co-authored the book, Driving in Competition, which sits on my bookshelf, A successful book on road racing and a rewrite is coming next year. I'm excited to see that. He was the owner and general manager at Allen Johnson Porsche Audi in San Diego, California, a place I used to go kick tires back when I was a kid. A partner at Scottsdale Porsche Audi Jaguar Land Rover. Allen was a board member at the San Diego Automotive Museum and currently serves on the San Diego Air and Space Museum board. And today he's an executive consultant and associate at MAP, Management Action Programs. So, Alan, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about your history. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about
1: your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Uh, sure, Mark. I think it's interesting that the enthusiastic part of me began very early. I loved cars as a kid, and even before I got a driver's license, uh, I was hanging around with hot riders in Eagle Rock in the L.A. area. And uh, every opportunity I had to take a ride with some one of the guys in one of their hot rods. And when I got my driver's license, I of course got a Ford, and worked on it and got it made special for me. Uh, we painted it, et cetera. I mean, you know, got it fixed up. And eventually, I was able to get a '32 Ford Roadster traded.
0: Oh, nice! A deuce. <laughs> and
1: uh, that was my star. I, I actually. uh I took it back to Colorado with me when I was in the Army there, joined a club called the Cam Winders in Colorado Springs. Nice. Met some really good guys, had a lot of fun. After I brought the car back, uh, there was a club forming the L.A. Roadsters, and uh, I think I was one of the original members of that club, and they're still going strong. Uh, They put on a big uh, Father's Day event at the uh, L.A. uh, County Fairgrounds, uh, and uh, I always go up there and go, Connie, you know, I was a part of the start of this thing, I think. We used to take some drives. The guys get together and uh, go for a ride, and uh, I started beginning to try and make my 32 Ford Roadster handle better mm-hmm. and was able to get it a little bit better, but then a friend of mine gave me a ride in a Porsche Speedster, ah. and it impressed me so much that I had to have one. <laughs> uh, so in the late 50s, I set it as an objective. I got a Carmen Ghia first, then traded it for a, a Speedster. Mine was a 57 Porsche Speedster. Uh-huh. And not not in super shape, but it was all there. Uh, and I think the value of it was about $1,600, <laughs> which is yeah. an unbelievable day. Everyone is going for over hundred grand oh, if you can find yeah, a good one. Way
0: beyond that, sure. <laughs> uh,
1: and then, uh, you know, I uh, put a roll bar in it and went to the driver's school. Uh-huh and um my first driver's school was at Willow springs in um i think it was January or February of nineteen sixty Wow um the chief instructor was richie Ginther, who i
0: oh my gosh. know a lot
1: better later yeah, and uh Ronnie Buckton was there and oh, wow. a couple of other guys but I had a really good session and and decided that my goal was to have a an s c c a Competition driver's license. Yeah, I do that. I think I would, you know, achieve my all my goals in uh, driving in competition. So I began to uh, to race a little bit, paying all my own bills and not making a lot of money. And it didn't happen very often. I think I raced three or four times in 1960, and uh, then the following year, uh, maybe a few more times. Uh, uh, the fellow who was very good at tuning horses at that time was a fellow named Roger Burch best known for the Bursch exhaust.
0: Mm, okay. um,
1: but yeah, he and I got to know each other pretty well. We decided to put our efforts together. We actually traded cars. Uh, he had a convertible D. I, I took that and used it to go back and forth to work, and he took my Speedster, and uh, we made it into a, a first-class race car. Nice. And uh, won a couple of races in '63, and then we decided to go after the national championship which was going to be held uh, for the first time at Riverside Raceway and we were you know very comfortable at Riverside Raceway we got a chance to run there often sure and so good success qualified on the pole won my class in E production and i didn't know what to do after that i mean i had already achieved much more than i ever thought i would in sports car racing and so we we decided but gee Let's take an opportunity to sell this car for too much money, which we did. At the time, that car sold for about $4,500, and it it was a national championship e-production car. I don't know what that thing would be worth (laughs) today.
0: A little more than that.
1: A little more than that, for sure, Mark, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that year, and Roger bought a a a totaled car. It was a, a, a 61 Porsche Roadster. And he and I together worked on it over the year in in 1965, and then we brought that car out in '66 with Roger's help. I learned a heck of a lot about uh, mechanical things, especially regarding Porsches. And we went on, and we had that was actually my my most successful single race car that year. I won 18 first overalls oh
0: my in gosh. 24 races. Whoa!
1: But the bad news is, I although I was the first Porsche in the national championship that year I was second to Carl Swanson in his uh, Morgan wow. uh, at Riverside and it was a we had a good race and uh, he deserved to win so after that we got a chance to go to Sebring and, and a good friend of mine at the time Bob Kirby put up the money to buy the car I arranged for it I had now established a good relationship with the Porsche distributor and uh, they gave us a little help and uh, we Everybody put our efforts together. We were, of course, members of the Porsche Club locally. Everybody contributed their time. We, you know, we went to Sebring with a, a car off of the showroom floor in the Los Angeles area. We uh, converted it for racing as best we could. We didn't have any problems with the car at all. Uh, a lot of other people had problems in the 12 hours of Sebring, and we ended up 7th overall And we won the Grand Touring class. Wow. And uh, we were um, just unbelievably honored uh, that we had a car that would go all that way. Yeah. Kind of shorten it up a little bit. Uh, We went on and and raced that car, uh, NSACA competition, Class C competition, uh, the rest of that year. Qualified for the national championship and took it to daytona uh, where we won i had a good race with davy jordan for the whole race and yeah. car. as wow. a result of that i think i got a chance to join the local porsche team uh, which was funded by the local porsche distributor owned by john von neumann who had a, a lot of racing background right and he had richie ginther who had just retired from grand prix racing as the team manager and, uh, Richie came down and talked to me about that, and I jumped at the opportunity to join his team in 1968. And we had a, a great year. It was my best year in racing in 1968. Our competition was, uh, with the two-liter Toyota sports car. Uh, Carol Shelby put together as, as the, uh, people to make that car into a race car. Mm-hmm. They hired Scooter Patrick and Davy Jordan, as drivers, were both were both really good drivers. Wow! And um, on my team, they Richie hired Milt Minter to be my partner in racing, and uh, we had several really good races in the year. And uh, I ended up winning the national championship in '68 at Riverside Raceway. And uh, we went on, and I, I had another uh, re- driving for another uh, team. I actually got a national championship in. Uh, uh, B sedan, I think it was the it was the Trans Am class, and um, so that would that was my fourth national championship. Wow! So we went on and raced a couple of more years with the Richie Ginther team, um, and I especially enjoyed 1970 when the 914-6 was brought into this country. And I got involved in the testing. We we got the uh, New York Auto Show car was airmailed out to us and. Richie picked up the car, and we did everything to that car just like we do so the advantage being that the engine was mid-engine, and uh, the balance of the car was really spectacular. In testing at Willow Springs, we determined that uh, after a number of times, uh, we we got the 914.6 really handling well. We determined it was about one second per race course mile faster than a 911 using, you know, everything else being equal. Mm-hmm. So that was something I've never heard anybody talk about. But
0: <laughs> Wow. Wow. Incredible. A
1: mid-engine car versus a rear-engine car with all that extra weight outside the rear wheels. It ends up being a great car.
0: Oh, yeah. Fantastic cars.
1: Note left the team and Elliott Forbes Robinson joined the team. And uh, we went on qualified for the national championship at uh, Atlanta that year. But we had a fuel pump problem for the whole race. And I don't remember what we ended up. We did not win. Morton in uh, in the Dodson mm-hmm. uh, won. Uh, Pete Brock's team, beautiful car preparation and everything.
0: Yeah, B R E. Nineteen
1: seventy w- was the last year of my activities with the Richie Ginther team. We did go to Le Mans, nineteen seventy one, and we were very fast. We had a we had tires that nobody else had. Richie with his background with Goodyear was able to get us some really good tires. And so we were we were by far the fastest uh, GT car in the Porsches.
0: Well, awesome history in racing. Absolutely fantastic. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in informing your life and your success. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning, as if you've already done that here
1: on Cars Jazz. So Alan, take the wheel. In the 60s, I was fortunate in my professional career, I've always said that, you know, I, I never gave up my day job. I always had a job. I was in the computer business, and I had some really good management training. Uh, I was uh, encouraged to set some objectives, and um, in the late 60s, I think, it was 19, I think it was 70, perhaps, I went to the MAP program, management action programs, and one of the things I got from it was I set a personal objective to have my own Porsche Audi dealership. Uh, within five years, wow, and uh, I was able to achieve that I, and I stayed focused on it. Uh, Map uses it and it calls it vital factors, so I found that in my life success comes from being very clear about what you want to achieve and going through the uh, challenge of uh, you know what do I need to do to get to my goal right to this day, I still use that same sort of philosophy, and it's worked very well for me. I was involved in several different automotive dealerships, mainly Porsche Audi, Mm -hmm. and it's been a a great career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you continue to work in that program today, don't you?
1: Well, I represented them. After I retired for three years in 1990, I decided that retiring is not a good idea, and I don't (laughs) recommend it for anyone. Yes. Uh, You can change what you do, but you can't stop doing things. Otherwise, you're just setting yourself up to end your life early.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's wise.
1: I joined the MAP as a representative for them in the San Diego area, and I still am.
0: Nice. Um, I'm
1: not an employee. I'm an independent contractor because I do other things besides work for the MAP company. But, you know, I, I keep focused on uh, maybe keeping uh, care of myself, going to the YMCA, the gym there, yeah. uh, two to three times a week, and I play tennis also two or three times a week just to keep my exercise going
0: well and you're a you're a rather mature guy too how old are you today alan i was uh 81 in august 81 yeah yeah you are an active guy
1: <laughs> fortunate i think back about people i knew who were in their 80s they didn't do what i do and it doesn't mean i'm going to stop it means i'm going to keep right on going awesome
0: good for you well let's go back in time here would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about your tr- early childhood. I think you're a, a third-generation Los Angeles, right?
1: I am. My mother was born in Los Angeles, and both grandmothers were born in Los Angeles.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Well, is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your childhood that you really realized you were a car guy?
1: Oh, I, I don't There was never a choice. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's... Um, you were just born into it. One thing that is either fortunate or unfortunate is my, my dad was not. He was an artist, and he didn't understand hardly anything about cars. My mom always called on me to fix anything in the house that needed fixing, (laughs) and somehow I had a great inclination to things mechanical. And I think there are people in my life that helped bring me along. There were a couple of hot riders that I loved hanging around with, Mm -hmm. but then Roger Bursch was you know, my very best friend and and mentor and uh, partner, in racing, he was really, really very, very influential in me, and, and I give him a lot of credit. He's, unfortunately, he's been gone a while now. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, Richie Ginther was a, a very, very important guy. And one of the things I was able to do was find people that I could learn from mm. um, and uh, use that. And in writing the new edition of my Driving in Competition, I'm going to concentrate on encouraging people to find people that they can learn from. Yes. Find people that are running cars they want to ra- and and, and uh, learn from them.
0: Yeah, and I always say we are the culmination of the people we hang around with, and it is so true. So I look forward to that rewrite of that book. Well, Alan, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. You've been around a long time. You've been doing a lot of things. So I would assume you've bumped up against some challenges and even some failures along the way in your career. The most important part of this question has to do with how did you overcome that situation? And even more important, what did it teach you? So take us to one of those times, walk us through it, and tell us uh, how you came out the other end.
1: Okay, I'll tell you a tough one. This is, uh, the Porsche Audi dealership was very successful until in the late 80s, uh, Audi had a problem with unintended acceleration. Yeah, I remember And we that. went for a couple of months without selling an Audi. Mm. And financially, we were really put in a tough place. And yeah. I'm going to jump forward and say that in the next couple of years, I ended up, uh, buying a Dodge dealership and putting my name on it, which was the first big mistake. People who buy Dodges don't care if old Porsche racer has uh, his name on anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the other thing I did is I opened a new Hyundai store. Hmm. And the other thing, and I learned from that, is that the kind of people that buy Hyundai's are not the same kind of people that buy Porsches, yes, or Audis. And and uh, and and we didn't not have success with either of those franchises. Hmm. So although I was very successful with Porsche and Audi, I was not successful in the slightest hmm. with uh, Dodge or Hyundai. The good news is I had a lot of real estate that I had acquired and we were able to cover the losses mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get things settled up. Yeah. But with the pressure of from about 80, 88, 89, 90, three years, I decided I wanted to bail out yeah. and I, was no, I no longer wanted to be the operating manager in a car dealership. I wanted to take a step aside.
0: Well, and those those years were tough years for Porsche too because those early 90s Porsche was kind of on the ropes with some things too.
1: They were, but we we actually did very well. We we got to be known as one of the best places to buy a used Porsche. Mm. And we were known nationally. Uh, I I learned at one point that uh, people thought of us as the place they could count on to buy a a used Porsche. So we had we had quite a quite a degree of success with that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember from my days growing up in San Diego, I was probably one of those annoying young college and high school kids that came down and walked around and kicked tires in your your dealership. I wanted one yeah. so bad I couldn't afford it of course at that point in my life. You guys had a very, very stellar reputation. What's a takeaway from that experience with the The Dodge and Hyundai dealerships that you could share with our listeners that might help them uh, avoid that or get over something that they're going through that's somewhat similar.
1: I guess what I learned about me is make sure that what I want to do, I can really get behind. Using the Dodge as an example, I was always a Ford guy. I was not somebody that liked Dodge or the Chrysler Corporation or anything to do with it. Hmm. And I bought the Dodge dealership just because it was available and across the street, uh, and it was the wrong reason to buy it. Yeah, and we had um, we had no success with Dodge. I mean, zero. It ended up costing me a ton of money. To find this out. So really being careful to branch out past your area of expertise or your knowledge area mm-hmm. is a, a caution that I would use to recommend to anybody. Make sure you consider, you know, what is it that you really know and what can how can that help you in success?
0: Great lessons learned. Thank you for sharing that. Let's shift gears here, Alan, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those career aha moments when you went down a path that you went ah this is the right way for me to go and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success
1: well i i actually mentioned it before and that is uh, you know i went through the map program and i i I learned that setting an objective for yourself and working through the action steps to get to that uh, accomplishing your objective is the way to do it and i remember very clearly one day I was running a Bosani Porsche Audi in the LA area, and I got a call from somebody and said, they opened up the new location for Porsche Audi in San Diego. Mm. And I said, that's mine. That's <laughs> mine. I have a goal. Yeah. So I went and got in the car, and I drove over to the distributor, uh, who, through racing, I had a contact with. Ah. And I went in and knocked on the door and said, you know, I'd like to have that location. So there were several other people applied for it but i had the inside track because of my um experience with racing and having them run the team that i was on sure um and so i got a chance to have my own porsche audi dealership as a result of being very clear on the objective ah so important if you have a plan and you work through it being something that's achievable challenging but realistic uh, you can go through that, and, and you end up with a much better degree of likelihood you'll be successful.
0: Great advice. Very good wisdom there. Now, how about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, many proud moments in racing with your victories and victories in business. But is there one in particular you could share with us today?
1: Oh, sure. That Actually, it was that race at Riverside in 1968. <laughs> I drove probably the best race of my life. And afterwards, everybody was there. I mean, you know, all my friends and, and uh, the teammates and, yeah. you know, to have Richie Ginther, my team manager, you know, excited and congratulatory to both myself and Milt. We finished one, two, and, and that was Richie's first year as a, as a team manager. That was the, the best part of my career in racing by far. Very cool. What an exciting time.
0: Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and go back in time again. Uh, I know in the past you've had a bunch of cool cars. You mentioned that Speedster, a car I've lusted after forever. Let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car and maybe share a memory with that vehicle.
1: Well, of course, the first one was my uh, 57 Speedster that I started racing in. Yeah. To get to, to the next level, the the 914 ended up being, God, I love that car because it was so much easier to drive than the 911. Yeah. And, and you, we were able to put it in a really good shape. I mean, the first race we ran happened to be at a Riverside Raceway in a race before the, the NASCAR race. Well, it was really interesting because we were able to run that car without a roll bar in it because... Porsche gave us data on the rollover part. Oh, the
0: the target top, yeah. uh And
1: so we actually i have got a couple of pictures of the car without a roll bar in it on the racetrack. Wow. The other people complained, well, that car's got to have a roll bar just like we do. Yeah. So (laughs) so they came along and they made us actually put a roll bar in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love that 914. And, of course, uh, along came the 924. And uh, we actually uh, ran two cars in that team. Uh, I did not drive the the first year we were on that team, Greg Lacava uh, was our driver, local guy, very good driver. Then along came the 944 and the 944 Turbo. Mm-hmm. In the late 80s, uh, we were uh, asked to be on a, do a team. Al Holbert put together a couple of teams in uh, the country, and he wanted me to run the one on the West Coast. And so we had a couple of uh, Nine forty four GTRs, I think they were called, uh, they were fabricated by Fabcar. Right. Put together by Fabcar originally in the Atlanta area, and then he moved up to the Indianapolis area. But he made a beautiful car, and this was a turbocharged, really fast car. They had two hundred mile an hour nine forty four turbos, all wow. hand built. Nice. It was. I think the only part that actually came from Porsche is the top,
0: <laughs> uh, the
1: top of the car. At, at any rate, uh, we had we had a lot of fun that you were that car. But we we were running a different class. We were running um, either A or B production. I don't remember which. And uh, there were uh, Corvettes and Cobras and all kinds of other cars in that class. Uh, Mustangs and and uh, we couldn't get there. The car also ran in Trans Am, or IMSA. I don't remember which. Mm-hmm. Um, I was beginning to get pressure from the new car dealerships that I had acquired, and so I didn't have my attention on that. So, but we had a good time. The production a 944 Turbo ended up being one of my very favorite cars, and and it's a car that I kept after. We sold everything. I had it for a few years, and I I didn't drive it very much. And one day, my wife suggested that I take a look at what our insurance was for that car. Oh, my God. We were paying like uh, $4,000 a year or something like that. At the time, I had a tendency to get more tickets than I needed, and they were doing a job of keeping track of that and charging insurance fees accordingly. So um, I had a, a friend that had wanted the car for a long time, so um, we, we let him have it, and uh, that was the last car I had. I looked to go back in the background here. I discovered about myself a long time ago. I'm not a car collector. You get emotionally involved with cars. you know I, I don't want to leave them. Um, and it's like, <laughs> I've known guys that have collected cars and they don't know anything about their cars. Right. And I said, you know, you know, why would you do that? You know, you'll get a car you can use. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have done. And, and, uh, my best friend in life is, uh, Steve Knappenberger, who runs Santa Barbara Auto Group. And he gets new Porsches, and I get a chance to drive them. Nice. And he, he's in, he even has an, uh, a 918, and uh, wow. he gave, gave me a really good ride in that car. And so anything that comes out at Porsche, I'm able to get an inside track on knowledge about the car and riding the car perhaps driving them, uh, et cetera. So nice. I get my exposure to Porsche through Steve Knappenberger.
0: Well, let's talk about today. What are you doing these days that has you really excited and fired up?
1: Well, I love my involvement with the San Diego Air and Space Museum. Uh, It's run by a first-class executive director, Jim Kidrick. I am asked to be involved in a number of different things with the museum as a board member, Mm -hmm. and I really like that involvement a lot. It's a great museum. It's brought me to exposure to Air and space. Nice. Um, Robbie and I just took, got back from a trip to the East Coast, where we visited the Wright Brothers Memorial in uh, Kitty Hawk area, mm-hmm. and and that was one of the finest uh, memorials I've ever seen for on the subject, mm-hmm. on just the subject of the the Wright Brothers um, actually building and flying the very first airplane, if you will, yeah. ever in the world. It was a great memorial to visit. Very anyway. Cool. Nice. My exposure to air and space, I think, is the thing that lights my fire today
0: <laughs> very nice, very nice from the the track to the air. that's cool now here's a very introspective question for you, Alan. If you were a car, what kind of car would Alan be and
1: why Well that's a really interesting question what would I be? You know, I think it would be a nine eleven it would be a nine eleven i you know I have the utmost respect for Porsche coming out with a car uh, like the the nine eleven they absolutely set the standard. They, and nobody knew it at the time. I'm not sure I even liked the first 911 I saw. I remember clearly it was a dealership in Pasadena. And, you know, I kind of, hmm, I like the 356, and now it's the 911. Yeah. And now as I look back on it, that was probably in 1965 or 6. Yeah. I remember being a little hesitant about that. It God, it was way too modern. <laughs> <laughs> and today... Here we are. I don't know how many years that is till now, but it's you know a long time for that shape of car to continually evolve up to the point where I think they're beautiful cars today. So if I was to be a car, uh, I guess I'd like to be a a 911, and I wouldn't necessarily want to be one of the hot rod 911s. I'd I'd like to be a really comfortable 911 not cool. stick shift. Interestingly, everybody asked me, well, you you got to have a stick shift, right? <laughs> no, I I think they have made, you know, the automatic transmissions so very, very capable yeah. uh, that uh, i yeah. want one to be very easy to drive and, <laughs> and uh, et cetera.
0: Nice. Yeah. That PDK is absolutely incredible. I've had the luxury of driving those on the track and Just amazing transmission. So very cool. Mm -hmm. I kind of hoped you'd be a 911. So that fits you perfectly. Well, Alan, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's cars. Yeah, sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier plush and Berber custom floor mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, Thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at com, or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. All right, Alan, we are back and we're entering the last lap and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: It came from Dan Gurney. Um, and I've actually made a mention of it in my book. And one day Dan was at a meeting at the California Sports Car Club. And uh, I said, to, I, I talked to him briefly and I said, Dan, what are you driving? And he said, I'm driving a Chevy pickup. <laughs> and I said, "Oh my gosh, you should be, should you be driving some a Porsche or something else? Are you driving a sport?" And he said, "Doesn't matter what I drive. I work on my my driving. Whatever I drive, ah, the use of the controls in the car, the uh, being able to put modulate your pressure on the brake and throttle is is something you should be working on all the time." And that's what Dan said. He said. Nice. You know, it's on your physical steering and feeling the steering, and the brakes and feeling the brakes, and yeah. the gas and sensing how much power you're actually really getting. So, from Dan Gurney, I got that, I got that deal, and I've, I've I always do it. I have never not done it. There we go.
0: Now, how about a personal habit? Would you share one of yours that you think has contributed to your success over the years?
1: Ooh, uh, be prepared. Um, I think it it started in racing. We were always, we always worked extra hard to be prepared. When we got to the track, yeah, we were ready to go. We were the first people to go out te- uh, for practice. We were the first people to get to the grid, et cetera. And in, in uh, the consulting business, I absolutely prepare in advance for any time I have with clients or prospective clients. I prepare in advance.
0: There you go. Great advice. How about a resource? There's lots of great resources these days, especially out there on the Internet, but is there one in particular you find yourself going to often?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. My wife is much more computer literate than I am, very into everything to do with the Internet and computers, etc., and I'm okay with computers, but... She uses the Internet, so if I have something I want to learn about, I go ask her. <laughs> <laughs> so can we all go ask her for a? Question? <laughs> yeah, you you could you'd benefit from that, I assure you. She's really sharp at finding answers to questions. There you go. I and also have another one my my best another one of my best friends is Lou Malone, who has a j u s a, and he's a guy that he searches out things. If he was going to buy a new TV, he searches it. He was going to buy appliance for the house. He searches everything to do with it. So if I'm going to buy something, I just ask him.
0: There you go. <laughs> Even better. There it goes back to having the right people around you. Yes. Now, how about a book? Other than the book that you authored, which I'm excited to hear you're going to do a rewrite next year, but is there one book in particular you think our listeners should read?
1: You know, I think the the, the racing books that I've read, Bonnerant did one. Uh, the ones I like are the old ones. Okay. If you're looking at learning more about racing, I think you need to ask somebody that's much more current than I. So taking a page out of my book, go to the races, get in the pits area, find the people who are driving cars that you want to drive yourself Mm -hmm. and get to know them. Uh And, you know, so that you can continually ask about the preparations for your Alpha or Datsun or Porsche or whatever it is, find out who in your area is driving cars in competition that you would like to drive.
0: Well, you can find all these great resources, CarShout listeners, at Alan's own show notes page at CarShout.com slash Alan Johnson. Uh, just go there and check out all these links. And there's another great place on the Carja website called Guest Recommended Books where these books and all the past 630 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Alan, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one really cool collector car in your garage money's no object i'm going to buy you whatever car you'd like today what would that vehicle be and more importantly why would you choose that car
1: well first off it would be a car i could drive and again i think it would probably be a 911 and so it would be an extra car not a car that i would use all the time but when i could get in and go out and really enjoy driving and in this case you know as opposed to the one i would be uh, if i could be a car myself. I'd like it to be a little bit more powerful and probably uh, the new Porsche Turbo S. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. has just come out. Yeah. I would say that would be the case. Uh
0: Oh, uh, yes.
1: <laughs> and not a GT3 yep. because it's rides too rough for an old guy. <laughs> the new Turbo S would be my a choice.
0: I know several people that have those cars. They've had GTSs, they've had GT they've had GT 3's, and they've all said, you know, if you want everything those rougher cars are and something comfortable, the Turbo S is incredible. And if I could go buy a brand new Porsche today, it'd be a Turbo S for sure. Fantastic choice. What color would you like that car
1: to be in? Well, it depends on how wealthy I am. I don't have enough money to hire a guy that can wash it all the time for me. If I did it, it'd be black.
0: I'm buying it for you, so you don't have to worry about that. I'll have it washed for you every week, so you pick the okay, color. and then, then, then black. Black, okay, there we go. And, then not, and not metallic, just pure black. I got you, great choice. Well, Alan, you've taken me on a awesome ride around the track today. I knew you would, and I really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me. I feel like I've known you even though we really haven't talked before because I used to hang out at your dealership back when I was a kid, but it's so nice to be able to reconnect. I want to ask you if you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you head up off the coast highway in that 911 Turbo S.
1: Well, I think that it comes right out of the book is always work on your driving. One, one of the advantages to always paying attention to improving your uh, use of the controls in the car is that it requires that you always pay attention. Uh. And if you always are thinking about placing the car where you want it to be and how to use the controls in the car, you have a better chance of being alert for anything that can happen and therefore avoid having problems. Always try to be a better driver. It'll keep you your attention on your driving. There you go.
0: What's the best way for our listeners to keep up with what you're doing these days?
1: Oh well, I read uh, read about what's uh, happening in your in your business. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would be the Well, best. I know you
0: have a LinkedIn account, so they can connect with you there if they wanted to and yeah, learn more about what you Yeah, I have LinkedIn. I'm not
1: very active with it, but I have that. And um, uh, you know, that's that's probably it. Okay, um, I, I'm easy to find.
0: Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Alan's been so kind to share again at his Cars Yeah show notes page at CarsYeah.com. dot com. Just type Alan in the search bar in that. Page will pop right up. Hey, Alan, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your incredible life with me and with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Okay, Mark, thanks very much. I enjoyed the opportunity. You're welcome.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.